Welcome to the RAQA Cafe, a conversational podcast with a couple of hosts that spend each episode talking about regulatory affairs and quality assurance topics. NAMSA is happy to bring the RAQA Cafe to you, where each episode features NAMSA consultants and their experiences. Be sure to visit NAMSA at namsa.com for more information and access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to the RAQA Cafe, a NAMSA MedTech podcast. For this episode, we bring back Matt Royal and Paul Risbro to talk with me about effective communication with notified bodies. Both Paul and Matt previously worked for European notified bodies before joining NAMSA as principal regulatory consultants. Located out of the UK, Matt and Paul specialize in supporting clients and navigating the EU medical device requirements and working with them to prepare for and interact with their notified bodies. They have successfully helped their clients get new product into the EU market and helped many others transition from the EU Medical Device Directive to the EU MDR. It's great to have them back, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you guys for joining me today. It's a new year. It's a new podcast. We've got Paul Risbro and, and Matt Royal, our first repeat guests. You guys feel privileged to wow. uh, <laughs> do we do we get an award or anything? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'll it's in the mail. Uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> it should be like the uh, you know the, another the, the poster or Starbucks uh, loyalty stamps, Rich. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is, I'm I'm curious. Is there is there a UK version of Starbucks? Is there a Starbucks just Starbucks. taking over the planet? Uh, Starbucks. Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, man. Well, thank you guys for joining me. Um, today, we're going to talk about effective communication with the notified body, which I think you two are quite well qualified to discuss because you've been on both sides of the fence. Yeah, and... I've definitely been shouted at by clients when I was at PSI. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> and what about you, Matt? Everything, I'm sure, was smooth and, and uh, all... <laughs> All the people yeah, that I've, read. I've, um, I've I've written down one sentence in my notepad just for this uh, just for this talk, Rich, and it just says, uh, "Don't go in windmilling," you know. Just um, <laughs> yeah, don't 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 go in shouting the odds from the start. But we we can cover that later, right? All right, that's All the, right. that's my main message from today. Well, before we get into today's conversation, I did want to just quick give a shout out to to Linford, who is. Uh, he, he has moved on to new adventures, and I, I just had to take a moment to just say thank you so much to Linford for helping make this podcast a reality. This is truly a passion project for me, and it and it never would have happened without him, and, he, and he's going to be missed, but I'm excited for him and, and moving on. And, and, you know, for now, the podcast is just going to be me with as many guests as I can convince to come on, and uh, hopefully soon we'll we'll try to fill Linford's shoes, but they're pretty big shoes to fill, so. Um, good luck to you, Linford. I hope you're listening. All right. So, again, you know, the first question is, you know, what are what are you having for a beverage uh, this afternoon? You go, Matt. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, me. Ma- I'll go. Yeah. Go ahead. So, I bought the medicinal kraken rum just in case, because <laughs> 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 my throat's a bit iffy. But I've also got a nice cup of green tea, and you probably can't see the mug in my daughter's mug. No, I've yeah. stolen. If you, you hold know. it close to your face, I think it shows up, but. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, there, there, you go. Go. there we go. <laughs> if you hold that just a bit higher, Paul, on your forehead, I think that means you're a loser, doesn't it? Oh, probably, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's the loser mug rather than the lily mug, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt, what about yourself? 
Um, well, having uh, having had the emergency espresso on the hour, a little bit concerned that I was suffering for the uh, from the post lunch slump. Just a, a bog standard, very well made cup of British tea. And like, uh, <laughs> if, it, if it's not a Yorkshire tea bag, then it doesn't belong in our house. <laughs> I, I I guess I'm not familiar with the term. What is a what is a bog standard imply? So just a good cup of builder's tea. Strong, <laughs> white, short, short three sugars. Bit, yeah, short of <laughs> it being in a, a in a chipped mug that I got with an Easter egg. I mean, it's you know just a bog standard, decent, earthy cup of tea. Got it. Got it. I, I myself, I normally during the week, I just drink black coffee. But for this special occasion, I made myself a, a latte with with oat milk. And then I added toasted marshmallow syrup. So, uh, you know, wow. in America, we've got this thing called a <laughs> s'more. So it's kind of like yeah. s'more in a cup. So wow. um, or no, actually, it's, have you ever heard of those little um, we, we call them cream pies where they've got like an oatmeal cookie on each side and like a marshmallow fluff in the middle? So it's it's kind of like one of those, but in a liquid form. Wow. So I'm going full on next time. You know, if, if you ever have us back, Rich, I'm going to go with a full on mocktail with a sparkler on it. And, you know, <laughs> like, like in uh, like in one of those really expensive bars when someone walks around with the champagne with the uh, with the firework in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, for me, since it's usually in the mornings when I record, maybe I'll do one of those massive Bloody Marys that, you know, has your entire breakfast connected to the top of it. So, I don't know if you've seen those, but that's that's a big deal in America. Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, you know, it's it's a rough life. Well, again, you know, you guys actually came to me to saying, hey, you've got this exi- exciting idea for a podcast on effective communication with your notified body. And I was very intrigued. And so the first thing that I did when you talked to me about the subject is I went on on to Google and I started searching to see, you know, do other people have webinars or or blogs on this topic? And and I really couldn't find anything. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is exactly what I wanted this podcast to be is to talk about topics that are relevant to, you know, bring people in to listen, of course. And in, in NAMSA, especially our EU division, is very well leveraged to have this conversation because, again, you guys have been on both sides of, of the conversation. And so I'm excited to hear the the suggestions that you have, and, and I'm sure there's going to be lots of questions. But, um, you know, I guess what, what I'd like to start the conversation with is let's put on your notified body hats and, you know, what experience did you have? while you were working for the notified bodies on on things that people did well and and things that people didn't do well and uh and of course we'll keep everything anonymous <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can start if you like um yeah please i guess i had the whole range of experience from the um, first introduction and having clients actually shouting at me you know <laughs> things like you don't understand our technology and those sort of things you don't understand our clinical through to you know, manufacturers where you could have, you know, a proper professional serious conversation about some serious concerns you've got, but they were prepared to work with you and, you know, present additional data, you know, so sort of those extremes, really, and lots in the middle, really. I think it's a bit like Matt says, you know, some people come out windmilling, like they want to fight. Some people, you know, are prepared to, you know, meet you halfway and, you know, have proper conversations about things. And I think, you know, that's one of the key points, I guess, we want to make today is it is, a professional relationship and no matter how difficult things get 
you should sort of maintain that relationship because you don't get things by shouting at people, you know, because eventually they're just going to ignore you. I mean, yeah, your notified body isn't your enemy, but they also have a responsibility to make sure you're prepared to go to market. So, yeah, absolutely. You've hit a good point there. You know, I think you've got to see the discussion. You've got to see that the the notified body has a job to do. And these individuals have, they've got to see the evidence. They, you know, and, and they've got to write a report about your documents. And so... They can't make it up if it isn't in front of them. And so understanding that they are simply trying to look for the evidence and, you know, li- listen to what they say. when, when if, if they're saying, I, I can't, you know, what, what, what you're telling me isn't what the documents say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. No, I was just going to say it comes down to the sort of motivating factors, doesn't it? You know, if you're a manufacturer, you're probably your motivating factor is to get things done as quickly, simply, as fuss-free as possible. Um, get away with as much as you can if we're honest about it, uh, and get your product certified. Whereas the notified body, which is beholden to you know the competent authorities, the, the, the governments of Europe, they need to actually show they've done due diligence, that they've done a thorough job, that they've ticked all the boxes they need on their review forms and filled in all the relevant information. And, and their motivation is more about being able to put their hand on the heart and say, this thing is safe and it works, and I've got evidence mm-hmm. to prove that. And so, you know, there is always these different motivations, you know, on both the manufacturer's side and the, uh, you know, the, the notified body side. But I think the key bit I always try to get across to people when I was a BSI is we both want the product on the market if it's safe and it works. You know, right. the notified body wasn't deliberately trying to stop you, but it's got certain things it needs to fulfill. So, but ultimately everybody wants products on the market because that's you know what's going to keep them safe and their families safe and you know the population safe so that's a really good point and matt to get back to you said something about documentation and and i'll never forget a conversation that that i once observed with a notified body and that you know the notified body identified a gap and then the client just then went on this passionate you know well these are all the things that we've done and this is and the notified body was like, well, but you didn't document any of that. If you had written yeah. that stuff down, we wouldn't be having this issue. So, you know, we've got to, you hand us a story that's written down. And if there's gaps in that story, we catch it and call it out. And even if you have the most elegant argument in the world for why it's okay, if you don't have that written down and have the proof, well, then it's just, you know, it's just storytelling. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And I think it, sorry, go on, Matt. Well, I was just going to say, don't forget that the notified body reviewer that is looking at your documents and asking questions has to defend their position to an internal group of people. You know, you can call them the certificate decision makers, the review panel, whoever that might be. So there's they they have to be able to stand by what they've seen and the evidence they've reviewed. But there's another layer to that as well. The notified body then gets their work looked at by a kind of like, round-robin assessment of various different competent authorities and, um, and and the designating authorities. And so there's there's several layers of double-checking homework. And so the notified body reviewer is just trying to extract the objective evidence out of the manufacturer so that there's not questions asked several, you know, several orders of magnitude up the up the chain. Yeah, and I also think the MDR, the whole point of it is to drive transparency. And I think, you know, talking about American companies in particular with the FDA, you know, I didn't sit through many FDA audits when I was in manufacturing, but 
you know, it's very much you, you shut them in a cupboard, <laughs> present them what they've asked for, you know, don't give too much away. It was very much, you know, give them the bare minimum. Whereas I think the European model is much more about transparency and openness. And it is about, you know, putting the evidence you've got, you know, always looking for evidence of compliance. We're not looking, you know, we're never looking to get people when I was at BSI. It was more about where's your evidence? If you've got evidence, I'm happy. I move on. You know, it's it's that sort of game. So I think culturally between sort of the FDA and the sort of EU model, it's very different in my experience. Definitely. I, I mean, so I think, you know, in, in the 20 years that I've been in the industry now, I've seen a very big change in the FDA from it, throwing your information over a wall and then getting a bunch of questions thrown back to you with very little interaction to now the FDA has moved on to more of a model where, you know, let's have a conversation before you submit anything and we can talk about these questions. And, and, and it's, again, it's, it's more of a conversation now with them. And I think that's great. It makes people a lot less scared to share information and, and make sure they're getting it right. But when it comes to like an inspection where the FDA has come to visit you, there's a lot more at stake for a company when the FDA is there. Um, and so you are correct in that, you know, you only answer the question being asked. Don't ex- yeah. don't extrapolate. Stick to the basics. But um, because yeah. it's basically like if you were talking to the police or 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 a lawyer, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. not not your lawyer. <laughs> so. Well, I think the thing that always kept us on edge when I was in sort of UK manufacturing is the FDA are allowed to carry guns. You know, it's like <laughs> yes, yeah, that's <laughs> really well. See, and they just they've just changed that model, so now the FDA doesn't carry the guns. They call in the the U.S. Marshals, who have much oh, better okay. aim. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not sure though that you know d- does that translate to a, a sleepy. You know, market town in the middle of uh, uh, little old England, you know, rocking up like men in black, pulled <laughs> up to get on the site. I would hope that customs these days would uh, would have got rid of that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you have to worry about the U.S. Marshals uh, in, outside of the U.S. <laughs> uh, yeah, so just picking up on your point about the FDA being much more willing to have a conversation, I think that's the hard part under the MDR is that, you know, notified bodies of very much been told that they can't consult, you know, and, and rightly so, because they're a regulator at the end of the day. But it feels, and I think that's what makes communication difficult with a notified body sometimes, is there isn't always somebody to ask, is this enough? So you almost have to play the game, especially, you know, when there's rounds of questions, for example, at BSI, you get three rounds of questions and then you're out sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, after round one, you should, you know, if you've got a lot of questions, you know, ask that meeting just to get clarification, go through your questions. If any don't really understand, get that clarification. Because they will be able to clarify your questions, but they can't necessarily give you the answers, you know. And and I think, and they're not necessarily willing to have a conversation about what's enough, you know. The onus is very much on the manufacturer to decide what's sufficient or enough data and, you know, all that good stuff. I'm curious if I can peek behind the curtain, but um, I know from the client side, when you're on that third strike or, you know, that, that third attempt, there's so much pressure on you because you know that. If you fail on this attempt, you're going right back and starting all over and the clock resets and it's, you know, money lost, time lost. Yeah. I'm curious as on the notified body side of it, is there any pressure on that third submission or before you send out your response on, you know, deficiencies to make sure that the client knows exactly what you're asking for? Yeah, I think 
I think there is pressure. You know, you don't really want to turn somebody down. Yeah. And again, that's the challenge of the whole system, isn't it? That you you could, you know, especially legacy devices, you know, they've been on the market for a long time. You know, they're safe, they know the work, but the documentation is poor. Mm-hmm. You're effectively, you know, can get to a point in the third round where you're still trying to get the manufacturer to do the right thing with the documentation, but maybe with your hand on your heart, knowing that actually this device is okay. You know, this is good and we need it sort of thing. So I think that's the challenge from a notified body is, and when you actually do reject, you've got to justify it, you know, on what grounds are you rejecting, which parts of the regulation you're rejecting on, what are your concerns sort of thing. So, so you know, I don't, definitely they would never get to, you know, they don't do it as we'd say willy-nilly, you know, it's it's got to be a well-thought-out process. And that's why I come back to the, you know, first round of questions. The, the system should be, you get a first round of questions. If you get a second round, it's because you, you know, it's because you didn't answer the first round properly. If you get a third round, it's because you're still not answering the question properly. No. So that means you either don't have the information or the knowledge you need to answer the question or things are missing and you're just trying to smoke and mirror it, or you generally don't understand the question. And what I've seen with, you know, notified body manufacturer communication is almost a, a misalignment of what's being asked for and what's the expectation of the response. And that's why I'm saying if you can get a, a quick run, you know, meeting with your your reviewer at round one, you can hopefully iron out any of those misunderstandings. Because to me, I've seen round three questions that just appear to be massive misunderstandings of, and the manufacturer keeps answering, but is almost not understanding what the question really requires, you know. And, and that sort of comes down to their competency, potentially, and understanding of the MDR, you know. Um, so it is, you know, it's difficult, but it is a, you know, it's a key point. You, you know, it's a relationship, and though they can't consult, they should be able to clarify. Is the way I look at it. So, Matt, <clears throat> I want to throw this to you because I think we've been in this experience together. But we, I think we've both been together on a project where, um, you know, the interpretation of the of the queries from the notified body were misinterpreted by the client, and and so yeah. you spent quite a bit of time making sure that, hey, you know. Don't just answer, don't answer with a, with a quick response. Make sure you're doing a systemic evaluation of, of what's going yeah. on. So talk to me sure more about clarifying. Right? Yeah. You've got to make sure you join up the questions because often questions on, you know, clinical might be kind of touched upon or um, talked about in risk as well. So, yeah, don't just blindly answer the question. Think about how they join up and the impact of the answers. Um, I think... One of the one of the things I've noticed is manufacturers often want to they're lying to themselves on how they interpret their question. Right? Don't you know? And I would say don't waste a round of questions. Be very be acutely aware which questions you are chancing a weak response on, and those that you know with your hand on your heart. What what's the reviewer truly critiquing? A lot of the times, I'd say you know while notified bodies can't consult we've certainly paul and i with with some teammates even uh, uh, this uh, week before last we were chatting through some non-conformities from uh, a notified body and when you actually really looked at it the reviewer was effectively telling you what wording they wanted to see in the document not directly but you could you know if, if you just take the time to read the non-conformity some some of them are just really quite straightforward almost just reword the question back at the notified body in the documents and but yeah i would say not to to waste a round of questions because notified bodies do have to play by the the three strikes and you're out rule right and you know get a second opinion what what we do here at namsa right we help manufacturers out look at the uh, the non-conformities and you know 
rich with in, in that particular project all too often we saw manufacturers not really wanting to face up to what the question was and mm-hmm. you could see in subsequent rounds of questions the notified body review was getting increasingly frustrated and you can often see it in the language of follow-up questions can't you that the reviewer is effectively saying please can you just answer the first question i asked yeah i think a, a good reviewer write a question knowing what they want the answer to be and if they're skilled you know like matt says there you know there could be some hidden meaning within the question of what they really really want you know but then you get a, a broad array of different experience of notified bodies because you know there's lots of people you know joined notified bodies recently certainly under the mdr massive increase in capacity and you know they're still in training and and sometimes questions can be quite naive you know if i'm honest about it you can ask, you get a question you think well yeah, what what they really want there or you know you know you can't understand exactly what they're they're angling for and again that's where i come back to if you can speak to them and get that clarification you know and we have done that you know we've done that with notified bodies we have had those meetings and they have you know really helped you know so so you guys just made me realize so my my second oldest son is is about to head off to university and and he's not quite sure what he wants to do and i'm thinking he might be really good at as a notified body because he is amazing at pinning me into a corner with his questions to get the answer that he wants (laughs) yeah does that usually result in you uh, allowing something or giving money he is amazing at just uh, he'll he'll call me and he knows to call me because his mom could be a lawyer too and they could they'll just go back and forth for hours but he knows I'm the weak link and so and he it's almost like he's got them written down because he knows my response to the first question and then he's got the next one until he's basically convinced me that his what he wants is the right way to go and <laughs> and then I get off the phone I'm like how did that happen <laughs> so, yeah and I'm a couple hundred dollars lighter in the pocket so <laughs> no, he, line him up yeah <laughs> well, so, you know, one, one thing I would I would add in here right about trying to trying to understand the you know the intent behind some of the notified body mm-hmm. point of view in their questions all too often we work with manufacturers who are simply just not aware of their notified bodies position on Mm -hmm. matters and okay not all notified bodies have the resources to be putting out big webinars or or um, white papers but there are a lot out there and particularly the bigger notified bodies right and so I think you can you can almost form a relationship with your notified body before you even speak to them by just reading reading up on their material and their position because more often than not what they tell you during these discussions you know the the big ticket items you know clinical evaluation risk management they've they've covered it in webinars more often than not and so going having these conversations kind of understanding you because look despite the mdr meant to have leveled the playing field it, it's not it's just we're in a whole we're just on a playing field somewhere else now, right? With with an equal number of, of issues. Um, and so you've got to just understand your notified body's interpretation and what they want to see. And that, you know, I mean, you take topics like well-established technology, right? There's a massive interpretation out there as to what notified bodies will and will not accept. Understand what your notified body's position is, right? And don't go into these conversations arguing that another notified body's perspective because you you just won't win. Yeah, that's a really important point. I mean, if whether you're looking for a new notified body or 
you're, it's your first time working with an existing one, go to their websites and look to see what they have. I mean, BSI's stuff uh, is probably, if I'm working on something for, you know, to submit to Europe, that's usually the first place I go outside of the MDCGs and, and, uh, and the MDR itself. But, and then I'll, you know, TUV's got a, a wealth of information as well. And I, I think everybody else is coming along too. But I mean, BSI is definitely at the top of the game when it comes to providing information. And, you know, I'm sure they're doing that because it makes their life better too. You know, the more informed their clients are, the the easier the process is and the more clients they can take on. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other point is sort of pick your battles, isn't it? You know, if we say wet in this example and you say, well, it's a legacy device, it's been used forever, it's really simple, and you tick off all the boxes and go, it's wet. You know, if the notified body comes back and says, no, we disagree with you, we'll sit back and think, well, why am I claiming wet? You know, what advantage is that actually giving me? Because if I've got sufficient clinical data, then I've got nothing to worry about. So claiming wets, you know, uh, you know I've been working with a client where, you know, I played the wet card just because you can, you know. Yeah. It, and it, the, the, again, you know, if my body didn't like it, I just deleted the text and said, fair enough, it's not wet. It doesn't yeah. bother me because I've still got lots of clinical data. You know, it's not it's not helping me. So so I think it is that very much that thing of, you know, pick your battles. If there's big battles to be had in, you know, big disagreements over things like intended purpose, indications for use, you know, level of clinical evidence, those sort of things. You know, sometimes there are, you know, battles to be had there. But when it's some sort of process-based things, it's like, don't make a fuss about it. Fix it, move on sort of thing almost, you know? And and for anybody who's listening, who's now confused <clears throat> is why you're talking about uh, moisture. Uh, <laughs> Well-established technology. Well-established technology. (laughs) I'll never forget the first time I heard somebody talking about it, and I had to quick look at them. I'm like, this clearly means something that I don't know. But yeah, uh, yeah, you know, we got different acronyms on different sides of the pond here. So I think we were once talking about it in our team, and uh, we we even within the the realm of wet, we had oh well, that device is a little bit damp. That one is absolutely (laughs) soaking wet. <laughs> and this one's the Titanic. It's at the bottom of yeah, the ocean. And <laughs> absolutely. Uh, that's great. What about building relationships? So, I, Paul, you, you sent us a lot of things that you, you know, ideas on what we could talk about today. And, and so, how do you develop a good relationship uh, between the notified body and the, and the, the customer? Well, I, think, the manufacturer? I think, like any, any relationship sort of built on trust, isn't it? And, and is that very much that sort of adage that, you know, say what you do and do what you say. So if you promise something to a notified body and you've agreed a deadline, then then do your damnedest to meet that. You know, it's it's trying to build that trust because, you know, certainly when I was a reviewer, if I felt somebody was trying to pull a fast one or brush something under the carpet, it just made you much more sensitized to what might be hidden that you hadn't found. So you tended to dig more and more and more. So it is about that developing a relationship based on trust and, and a professional relationship at the end of the day mm-hmm. and, and, and a mutual understanding of the product, the device, where it sits in the marketplace, how it helps people, all those good things. So, But I think like any relationship, we've got to start with you know trust, demonstrating as a manufacturer you've got integrity, but also the other way around, the notified body demonstrating to you they've got integrity and they know what they're talking about. You know, So I think to me that's a, such a real key thing. I don't know about you, Matt, what do you think? Yeah, you know, how, how many times did a, did a manufacturer, you know, would they submit a PMCF plan with just made up dates and then, you you know, you're chasing them several months later. 
oh, we never started that because such and such a surgeon never got back to us. And whereas you had other other clients who would proactively, hey, hey, look, I knock on the door. Hey, look, we, we, I know we said we were going to start, you know, Q3, whatever year, but actually it's been moved back to to another date for this reason. You, that that would be a much better better position to put yourself in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I, I have sympathies for some manufacturers because they don't have big regulatory teams, they don't have big technical teams, you know. So, mm-hmm. so sometimes you know responding to lots of questions is really difficult and time consuming. So you've got to have that open conversation with the manufacturer, with the, the notified body about what you can realistically achieve, you know, at the end of the day. And if they've set you a hard deadline that's in two weeks' time and you know you can't meet it, have that conversation. Don't just let it roll past. You know, sit down and say, look, you know, we're trying. But there's two of me and, you know, and this is what we're trying to achieve. So I think it is, again, it's like I say, just keep that communication of what you're planning on doing and delivering and and stick to the agreed deadlines at the end of the day. That's a wonderful point. It's, it's, I think, an incredibly important point because I think I've seen many people, including myself, just suffer in that, oh, we're given a deadline and it's not realistic, but we don't even try to have that conversation. We just suffer. And so that's a really good point. Yeah, on, on I that, guess an, an, an example on that. So I, w- I was doing a review once in a notified body, and it's a really small manufacturer, right, based in um, um, Southern California, right? Quite a small company. You could tell by the email addresses they weren't really permanent employees, right? And they had this this implant, quite novel, and they were um, they had no idea what PMCF was. They couldn't even spell PMCF, right? And um, eventually I managed to convince them, no, the only way that you'll get any positive recommendation for certification from me is if you actually do some PMCF. And the PMCF plan that came back for them was, I'll never forget, it was like a a 10 centre, 100 patients per centre in Europe. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, the, the seven of you with all different email addresses how and, and and I had a conversation with them with their regs director, and I said, uh, "How how are you going to do this? This you know, one of the big five companies would struggle to do that right from launch." And you know, he said, "Yeah, I told the CEO that, but we just and so you're immediately thinking, well, whatever you send back to me next, I'm going to crawl all over that to see whether I believe you can actually." And and ha- had they have come with a bit more of a sensible plan. From the start, you'd have maybe sort of believed them and, and supported them. But yeah, wild dates, studies, claims and all the rest of it, it does it does make you a bit suspicious. Mm-hmm. So what can you do if a relationship is soured? I mean, it, it happens from time to time where you you have a, a reviewer and a client that just just can't seem to work together. You know, to either at this point, the emotions have been frayed or there's just communication just doesn't seem to be working is there i'm afraid to ask this actually but i mean is is there a a pathway that a manufacturer can take to request any type of intermediary or remediation to you know if you're if you feel like you're struggling with your with your reviewer my experience when i was at bsi was you know people would go up the the chain so you know if the reviewers they weren't getting satisfaction with reviewers inevitably they'd end up on you as the manager so you know okay. i would quite often I took so, that role of being the the sort of the referee almost and saying well my review is saying this you're saying that and then actually you know i would bring them together and and that 
that just happened to be the way I worked in the team there and then. So it wasn't necessarily formal, but people knew, you know, they could come to me and I'd listen to them. Mm-hmm. you know and, and they know that if they were talking rubbish i'd tell them to go away but you know it, it, <laughs> you know so so i think you, you know there's obviously the task of asking to speak to someone's manager and then obviously there's a complaints process but why i'd warn about the complaints process is it's sometimes lengthy it takes reviewers away from doing the work they would have been doing because quite often the complaint would be given to a reviewer and another team to assess so it's sort of semi-independent and it's another team assessing the work of, you know, mm-hmm. a, you know, a team that's got the complaint against them. But it can be very time consuming and you might not get the response you want because if you generally have weak risk management or weak data, another reviewer will just say it's weak, you know, it, mm-hmm. and they, they won't, you know, they'll dismiss the, the complaint. So I think, you know, you should be think very seriously, you know, about complaining. Don't just go off half-cocked and complain right. officially because, you know, and it, it does come back to that trying to understand exactly what the reviewer is after. And yes, there are inexperienced reviewers. There are reviewers that, you know, can get buried in rabbit holes they've created and don't know how to get out of it themselves. And so it, it's sort of almost, yeah, I see no issue. And certainly I did it when I was a BSI as a beer mediator and try and figure out what's gone wrong mm-hmm. and try and put it back on track, you know. But but knowing full well that hopefully the, it's going to come down on the, you know, it's going to come down on the side of the safety of the patient at the end of the day. You know, is this device safe? Does yeah. it work? And if the data is insufficient, then you're, you're not going to get anywhere. So yeah, that's my experience. And I don't know if Matt had a different experience and well, what a bit, a bit of advice I think I'd give. I've I've been on the receiving end of of disgruntled manufacturers, but one of the pieces of advice I'd give to manufacturers, and I know it's a lot easier said than done, but try and keep the shouty CEO off those calls yeah. because <laughs> the number of times the threats start very very early on in those discussions, and you know the number of times you would hear. Well, it wasn't like this in my day. I've developed X number of devices and they're all absolutely mm-hmm. fine. And, you know, say that that doesn't wash anymore. Okay, yeah. People are just looking for objective evidence. And the evidence of you being a serial, you know, engineer with X number of devices under your belt, that doesn't, that's not documentation for the device you've submitted. So, yeah, as much yeah. as possible, keep your call cool with the process. Ask the right questions. Ask for clarification. But yeah, don't, don't, uh, well, back to what we said earlier, don't go in windmilling from day one because you need to really save that, you know, save, save those bullets for, for kind of like the end. Yeah. And so the, the advice that, that I have is, you know, if you really feel like you're in the right and, and you're, and, and, so there's, and you believe that the reviewer is wrong, bring in a third party to do a quick evaluation to yeah. get their sense of it before i mean because so i you know i i love that the advice is uh you know can i speak to your manager but uh but (laughs) but the but like you said the complaint process that's a much more formal process it's drawn out it pulls away resources from both ends because you know now you got to get into this inquiry before you ever pull the trigger on you know going down that complaint process do your due diligence bring in somebody outside you know whether it's just a different division or somebody who hasn't worked on that project to look at it and give their opinion, or even if you need to go to the point of hiring a, a third party to do that evaluation to help you build your argument, but make sure you've got all your ducks lined up before you do that, because 
because it, it could go catastrophically wrong if if you know yeah and it, like you say it's that due diligence do you understand the requirement that the question is yeah. trying to address and and could you put your hand on the heart and say i've i've addressed that properly you know and and sometimes you have and the the reviewers misunderstood or misinterpreted things so but it, like you say it is very important that you take that little step back take a deep breath read the question relate it to requirements see what you think is needed what might be missing and i think what happens with manufacturers that are desperate to get their ce but their data is very weak is inevitably they're going to fail and that's when the, the sort of the fight begins you know they start almost trying to fight their corner but with very little evidence and and that's not a good place to be and it's just going to waste time and money at the end of the day you know mm-hmm. if you if you realize that you don't have the data then either you know, fill that gap somehow, which I know is easy to say in some respects. But but the other thing is, you know, look at your PMS data. Look at, you know, if it's a legacy device, look at the history you've got and what you've kept. And, you know, can you support the safety side of the device and the performance side for your PMS data? And you might not have perfect documentation, but your PMS might be enough to fill that gap. You know, it's always coming back to, is it safe? Does it work to me? And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and like I said earlier, a lot of questions about the quality and documentation and traceability and missing things potentially, but they don't mean it's a bad product. Not if it's been on the market for 30 years, you know, and it's still working. And the mm-hmm. PMS data is, you know, saying it is safe and it works, you know. Well, what you're saying about the drawn out process, you see, by the time you're in uh, third and final round of questions and then you're into complaint territory, you know, it's a drawn out process, as we said. I mean, if you if you thought about some of those items at round one, you know, what are they truly asking for? By the time you've got to round three or even complaint, you could have generated some of that missing data. Yeah. Sometimes the question, the answers to the questions are marathons, not sprints, and be prepared to sort of go early as opposed to, you know, leaving it until it's just too late. Well, this conversation went quick. Um, You know, I've got to be (laughs) cognizant that I've got to get you guys back to uh, your clients so you can keep doing good things. But, you know, before we end, is there is there any last things that you guys want to talk about or that we didn't discuss or any highlights? I just like to make the point that, you know, there's so much guidance under the MDR and some of it's not easy to follow. And even the notified bodies don't really, you know, necessarily understand what the guidance is requiring. And there's interpretation. So I think there's always got to be a conversation because the MDR is still new and people are still learning on both sides. And I think I just encourage that conversation of trying to understand what the other party needs mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and then, you know, and just trying to, you know, do the best you can at the end of the day. <laughs> Whoa, there we go. And Matt, no, no, I, I got all choked up and we're, we're now at the end. It's Matt, the thought any, that any we might words? not be back for another podcast, right, Rich? You were so, yeah. you know, those emotions boiling over, right? You didn't keep a full head. <laughs> See, now it's contagious. I've got Paul going. <laughs> well, <laughs> Paul and Matt, thank you so much for joining me. I, I knew this was going to be a great conversation, and it, I think it's a great way to start the new year. So thanks for being my guest again. You know, I would always love to have you guys back on. You know, maybe we'll break up the team and, you know, you'll bring somebody else in to, to to bring them along and get them podcast ready. <laughs> now that you're the you're the veterans now, you guys are the experts. <laughs> you're the expert guests. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, you know, I wish you the best. And I can't wait t- till uh, we have our next talk. 
to I learned yeah. so much from you guys. Matt shared me some some amazing stuff that uh, I was jealous that I hadn't thought of. So it, uh, well, every time I talk to you guys, Mitch, before I shared that with you, I had a conversation with Paul about it. So okay, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it's uh, I think it's a uh, that's what I do like about this. It, it's all we 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 share ideas and solutions, right? Yeah, I mean, when when you hire an AMSA, you you might get a consultant, but we're just one head of the the Hydra. That <laughs> there's <laughs> maybe he that's said, a bad. Uh, stroking yeah. his right white cat and chuckling <laughs> evilly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you guys. I'll talk Thanks, to you Rich. soon. Take care. Okay. Cheers, and Rich. Bye. Cheers, Paul. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the RAQA Cafe with Matt Royal and Paul Risbro on communicating effectively with your notified body. On our next episode, I'll be inviting Beatriz Rodriguez and Sean Bird to talk about the relationship among risk management, clinical evidence, and post-market surveillance reports. If you'd like to hear more podcasts on different topics from the RAQA Cafe, please visit us at www.namsa.com and don't forget to bring your favorite drink.